Matt, it's really nice to meet you. My name is Patricia, and I am talking to you from Nova Scotia, and more specifically, a community called Port Williams in Nova Scotia, Canada. And I'm talking to you from um, my my place as being a farmer, and and maybe some people would say an innovator, an entrepreneur um, here in Nova Scotia. Um, we have a new company and it's called Taproot Fiber Lab and I'm going to tell you how this um, company and vision has evolved. So a little bit about, um, here's my daughter calling, a little bit about, um, how come it's not going to the next slide? Oh, because I have two screens, there we go. A little bit about um, our firm. So here you see my and myself, Isaac, Lily, and Frank, um, and then two photos of our farm team. So we uh, started farming 14 years ago with um, 144 acres of vegetable farm that was actually a fairly um, tired out vegetable farm, meaning that the land had given as much as it could give. And we purchased this farm and decided um, to begin our career as vegetable farmers and spent quite a number of years working really hard to restore the soil and learning how to restore the soil. Um, we started farming non-organically um, uh, zucchini, squash, uh, sweet corn, um, and some other vegetables. And all of the focus of our farm production at that time was for uh, the wholesale marketplace. Over time, our farm has evolved and our team has grown. And so we have a, a big crew of people that come to work with us from Jamaica every season. And we have a really great crew of people who work with us year round from here in Nova Scotia. And then also seasonally, people come from Newfoundland. So this is just a picture of who we are here in Nova Scotia. Uh, so here's a little map. We have two farm locations. Um, one is the original farm we purchased that never didn't have a home on it. And then the other one down on the um, down on the bottom corner on the right hand side of that map image is where our home is. So um, and we have 23. Um, well, we started off with 23 acres of production there and have grown that uh, to 60. Um, and that's where our organic farming vision um, began. Um, we wanted, I personally wanted to be farming organically, uh, grown up on a non-organic um, apple farm and just decided that I would study environmental sciences and paid a lot of attention to the environment and just really thought this was the way we needed to move forward with agriculture. So over on what was called Josh's farm up in the top corner is where we um, started farming and then we evolved on the other farm um, to start our organic operation. And that's also when we decided to launch a community shared agriculture program. Because after our first year of growing organic vegetables, we basically were like, this is not going to work. What are we going to do? And we needed to figure out a way of connecting with people who also shared the values that we, we held um, around, um, around water and soil and the ecosystem and the way in which we were going to be farming. So finding those people and asking them to support us in our vision. And they did. So that's when our CSA started, which was 10 years ago now this year, actually. So <clears throat> we've been doing all this work farming. Um, and one day we were walking through the fields. It was about six years ago now. And on the farm where our home is, there's this massive amount of stinging nettles. 
And I don't know, do you know what stinging nettles are, Matt? Oh, yeah. Of course you do. You talk about permaculture design. <laughs> what am I thinking? Um, so for all of you that are studying permaculture, you will see um, that there's a lot of focus on the significance of plants like stinging nettles in terms of what, they're, um, what they are able to offer uh, in the system. And so the farmer before us um, planted stinging nettles on the farm. Um, and uh, they are all everywhere. So I was walking through and I was thinking, what can we do? Um, with these stinging nettles and this person was walking with me and said well, you know, I'm working with this group in um, I'm working with this group in another part of Nova Scotia who is interested in natural dyes and natural fibers And I was just like natural fibers, huh? And I'd never really given it any thought before about farming fiber like I knew that you know, we farm fiber in the world, but I hadn't really thought about it in a way that I was connected to it, like that I could be the one farming fiber. So in the very beginning of this journey, um, I was basically trying to figure out how can we find some way to value add the stinging nettle that was a gift on the farm, just everywhere. Um, and that led to hosting a, an event on the farm where we brought together people really from around the world um, to talk about natural fiber and dye. And a lot of the focus was on the natural dyes because one of the coordinators of the symposium was a, um, a person who focused on, uh, on natural dyes. And so the guests came because of her connections with others. But anyway, at this symposium, it became very clear to me that I wanted for our firm to be able to provide not only vegetables to our CSA members, but also clothes and towels and bed sheets right from the farm. So the next sort of step is that we started building partnerships with um, people within the community and trying to learn and trying to develop research um, connections as well. Um, and that's when the idea of building our local economy through growing clothes on the farm really started. So um, one of the questions always is, this this part of this presentation is actually it's a little an older one it's not the exact one I wanted to show you right now but it's it, they're all quite close sometimes there's an extra slide but one of the questions always can be sometimes what is your innovation like what's different about what you're trying to do so right now in the world there's a very large global scale um, textile industry that's occurring and using bass fibers bass fibers of course are the fibers in plants like hemp like nettles like flax um, and so we, once we started realizing that we wanted to do this, we wanted to find equipment to be able to process with because we didn't want to do everything by hand. And we also, however, didn't want to be shipping our product all around the world. We wanted to be able to have the capacity here to do it. And so we found this problem that we couldn't find equipment that was the scale that we wanted um, and the, in the price range that we wanted to be able to maintain the integrity of the long fiber. So we could find some machines that would really just chop up the fiber and it could, the fiber would be able to be used for um, lower quality, um, lower quality uh, purposes. Um, but we wanted to maintain this like integrity of the nice, beautiful long fiber for high-end textiles in our community. Um, oopsies. So um, I'm just gonna, I, Basically, um, I just need, yeah, here, this slide shows that this is my husband, Josh, and I harvesting flax. So um, flax um, is pulled from the ground. Um, it's not cut. So you actually uh, pull it either by hand or with a machine. 
Um, and right now we don't have a machine, so we do it by hand. Um, but basically, um, we are a manufacturer of small-scale machines to, to process long-line linen or hemp or nettles. And we are also um, creating products, and we are wanting to also have our mill be um, a place where we can process other animal fibers so that um, we are able to build more capacity within our community around value-adding um, wool, in particular around us wool, but it could also be alpaca. And we want to like have more flax growers in Nova Scotia. Um, so we started going down this road and decided like, yeah, there's two options, industrial or hand processing, and we wanted to find some place in the middle. And so we started working with an engineer. His name is Mike. Um, and we said, okay, each step of the process, we would like to um, have one machine for. And the reason for that is because I believed that there are different size groups of people around the world who may be interested in different, having support in different aspects of, of the production. So for example, um, you might you might be a, a group of people coming together around local textiles and you're just having a really hard time breaking your fiber like it's really hard on your body and it takes a lot of time and energy and so as a community you might want to rally around raising money just to buy one of the machines to help you move forward so I intentionally one of them designed so that they were um, they were uh, separate from one another that then could be put together um, at the end um, if you wanted to. At the end meaning if you bought each one, they would then get all put together into their line. So the idea is it can be one whole line or it could be individual machines. So the steps in um, processing um, flax from flax plant to um, to a linen yarn are, are many, many steps. It's, very it's quite complex. Um, it's various degrees, master's degrees, doctorate degrees, like big industry. Um, and here I am in Nova Scotia just trying to like do the whole thing, small scale, um, and build machines. Um, and it isn't until now, like six years later, that I kind of appreciate that 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 it might have been a bit naive of me to think I could just like snap my fingers and do that but I really wanted to stay focused on being able to realize our goal so um, the, here in this picture you see a rippler so the rippler's role is to take the seeds off of the plant so that you can then value add the seeds so it takes the seed bowls off the plant and this is specifically for uh, flax and not for the other um, not the other uh, plants like hemp and nettles um, the next uh, machine is called the breaker, and the breaker is what takes the the shive or the herd off of the um, off of uh, away from the fiber. So it goes back and forth through the rollers a number of times, and then you're left with um, then you're left with fiber hanging there, which then goes into the next machine, which is the scutcher, and the scutcher is the one where you see the big yellow paddle. So that big yellow paddle beats uh, along the fibers, and it helps to further clean them. It then goes to, through to the hackler, which is a whole bunch of really fine combs, which combs the fiber out really nicely so that it can get ready to go into the next part of the process, which aligns all the fibers and gets them ready to go into the spinning machine. We are as far as the hackler, which is the fourth picture, the bottom right-hand corner, sorry, bottom left-hand corner. Um, that's as far as we have evolved, and we're working very hard at trying to complete the rest of the steps so we can go from retted fiber to spun yarn. Um, so
So, um, could I interrupt? Yes, of course. I, this is absolutely fascinating because what I've seen is actually most people are going and trying to find the last remaining components of the old infrastructure of Mm -hmm. the the old fiber shed industries that were all over uh, North America. And so in Oakhurst, California, I lived at one town over, they had the largest um, wool mill, like old school, like, you know, kind of big machine, giant, unbelievable machines in North America. And the only person that could fix it was in Canada because that's where the other one was. And so there's this very small community and I had not heard, the perspective is we're losing, we're not, we're losing this technology, we're losing this way of life. And what you're doing is you're not preserving, you're pushing forward, you're innovating and Mm, making it so that you can actually have people find career paths and new and new expressions. That's, that is very much what we're trying to do. Yes. And and I, and I, I mean, it's been very important to me, especially when I started connecting with um, the Nova Scotia College of Art and Design um, and the professors there and talking to them about the young people that are graduating and where they need to go to find um, work that allows them to use their talent and their skills, um, which is often very, very far away from Nova Scotia because we don't have, and, and very, very far away from all of rural North America, really. Um, so how can we create opportunities within our rural communities where people who are graduating with design um, or um, you know, with sewing or with weaving skills can find meaningful work doing, doing their, um, their art, their, their craft, their, um, their work um, in a place where they want to? And, and with a community supporting them. And so that's really what, to me, like that's one of the major motivators of what I'm doing here is that when I dream about what my community looks like, my community celebrates all that diversity of talent that goes into making all the things that I need to use in my life. And if they're all here, then we have this like really rich, um, rich diversity to be able to draw on as we move forward. And so if we don't have if we don't have the ability to, to, to start with the primary production and then the primary processing of the raw ingredients to be able to make the things that we use, um, then it's very hard to be able to employ people within community to take those things to the next step. And so that's why I really wanted to do this. Um, and so here we are and um, trying to figure out how to move forward. And we connected with this organization, this business in Prince Edward Island, Nova, uh, Prince Edward Island, Canada, not Nova Scotia. Um, and their names are Belfast Mini Mills. And they have designed small scale machines that are focused on processing um, wool and alpaca fibers predominantly. Like their focus really is on machinery that does animal fibers. But the machinery that they have designed also um, will further clean um, the bass fibers as well. So their machinery is designed for short staple length processing fiber. So long staple length, which is what I'm focused on with, with the flax and the nettles and the, the, and the hemp, is I want really long fibers. But in the process of getting the long fibers, all kinds of pieces fall down. And in all that, there is fiber. 
So we collect that all up from underneath, and then we're able to use the Belfast Mini Mills machinery to clean the short fibers and then spin and make yarn. So one of the ideas we had at the beginning is that we were going to adapt their machinery to do the long line linen work. But now, fast forward a few years, I've learned that that's probably not um, an option that's going to be viable. So what we're able to do is celebrate that their machinery is a solution for the short fiber length um, bass fibers and animal and wool fibers. So we have a mill set up um, of all of their equipment and we use it to make yarn. Um, but it's just not long fiber yarn, it's short fiber yarn. Um, also, one of the important requirements, I think, moving forward in creating a small-scale uh, uh, flax or bass fiber industry is that we do need to have some harvesting equipment, um, and so we need to look and find a puller uh, and a turner, and just like many things in the world right now, um, because the industry's grown so much, what's happened is that people um, no longer manufacture the small-scale machines because the industry wants more efficiencies, right? So the industry is growing bigger and bigger. So now instead of having one roll pullers, they only make six roll pullers. So you can only buy a big massive six roll puller. So <clears throat> this is an, another area where there's work to do around finding equipment and then being able to care for the equipment and have the skilled, um, uh, the skilled labor to know how these machines work and to take care of them. And then, of course, for us um, in our journey of developing machinery, it's been we want to sell our machines, and there's a whole lot to learn about how to um, deal with exporting machines and selling machines because I know selling carrots. That's what I know. I'm very good at selling kale and carrots and potatoes. Selling machines is like, whoa, jumping into an entirely different universe that I don't know anything about. So, um, And still, even now, after a few years, we're still working through it um, to be able to get to that place. This is, uh, a, this is just a look at some of the products that we have made so far. Um, so we are making um, long line linen uh, Strix and they are available for sale. Um, and so that is basically for people who want to do hand spinning. So if you are a hand spinner and you want to spin some North American uh, uh, linen grown in North America, grown in Nova Scotia, you can order it on our website. Um, and then we also uh, sell um, our toe. So the short fibers I was telling you about that we're able to further process, um, we're able to clean that more and selling that as well. And we also have wool linen blends that we are making. And then we've been working hard at testing, um, testing the Belfast Mini Mill Spinner to be able to make yarns. And we have many yarns uh, that we've created we're not yet happy with any of them to be strong enough for warp, for the warp on a loom. Um, I use them for knitting, um, and I do weave. I do weave them, and we have woven as a used our linens, our linen yarns as weft, which maybe we need to explain more, but we can do that later. Um, anyway, so this is just a picture of some of the products we've created so far. Um, and really, for me, what I would love to see is in the future that there's people that are celebrating uh, local, uh, locally uh, sourced, created products um, in the fashion world and that we are starting to talk about. And we do talk about it in some contexts about how important um, what we wear is to not only to our bodies but to the planet. And we really need to dive into that further um, as citizens and every day, you know, think about the impact that our choices of fashion are making as well as the, the impact of our food. And it's very interesting. I met this woman from the um, Institute of Natural Fiber in Poland, 
and she gave a presentation at the uh, at a at an event in, in Northern Ireland, and she talked about the skin and how you know the skin is basically our biggest organ, and yet we don't think about what we put next to our skin. So our skin is like interacting all the time with the outside world to regulate our whole our whole body, and yet we put all kinds of like you know really not very good things against it like petrochemicals. So um, so that was really powerful for me to think about that. Like, wow, like that's a big deal. What are we putting next to our skin and what impact does that have um, on our bodies and on the planet and how we're all connected to it? So for me, um, I'm really excited about what the possibilities can be um, for us and for the planet by being more intentional about what we wear and what we sleep in and and what we use for a towel and hand towels and all of those things. Um, so the, one of the big questions is why linen and there's all kinds of reasons um, but um, one of the reasons for me for flax which really goes along the lines of um, permacultural design I think is just that we can use the whole entire plant like the whole plant has purpose and use and um, we can use it in our rotations um, as you know we can look at it as a cash crop that we can include in in what we're doing um, on our farms um, and then in terms of it as a property of a fabric that we use for our for our personal lives it's just got so many great features that I'm sure most of you know like a nice beautiful linen shirt like so what if it wrinkles it's cool and it's refreshing um, and you know it lasts forever um, and of course we want to be able to celebrate all the different uses so hand spinning and knitting and rug hooking and weaving and paper making like so many things that we can do once we have the fibers and we have the infrastructure to be able to do these things I'm just going to skip over that one. So this is a photograph of Josh um, uh, get, taking the lotus seed off the back of the van. And so we actually still order our flax seed from Belgium. Um, there are some great uh, producers of flax seed there, and we buy them. And we actually just ordered our seed for this year, um, and it's on its way. It comes via airplane um, and then truck and then lands in the yard. And eventually one day, I hope that we'll have North American long line flax seed again. But again, a dream way down the road. <laughs> Uh, here's some of the production of flax, so the field and the evolution of it growing in our fields. And it has the most gorgeous blue flower that when it blooms, which is for a very short period of time, you basically are looking at a sea of lovely blue floating on the field, and it's just gorgeous. It's like the most beautiful thing. It's sort of like you can't wait for that moment to happen every year, and it's just sort of one moment, and then you just happen to get it, and you get it, and it's like in your brain and in your consciousness forever. Um, we've been very fortunate to have a great deal of community support around our initiative to sort of take back, um, take back um, the tradition and the knowledge of growing flax. And we invited people to come to a harvest. And we had 100 people come out and harvest a field of flax. Everybody had a grid. And so they could work in that grid and not feel too overwhelmed by pulling too much because it's very easy to put your back out pulling flax. Um, and it's just an example of how, you know, when we have an idea and we believe in it and we want to share it with people, people want to come and share it with you. So this was our flax day. This is a few more pictures of flax. So um, redded, being redded is very important. Redded is basically I call a controlled rot. 
So you need to break down the, the bonds that are between the fiber and the straw of the plant so that, the, so that when you process, those, um, that straw falls away really easily. And with hemp, it's called herd, and with flax, it's called shive. So that, and with everything else, I think you just call it straw. So that straw just falls away, or that herd or shive falls away, and you're left with the fiber. And so you can see Mike is um, working the machine there, and he's got broken flax hanging down, and then on the in the in the clamp, the yellow clamp, that's uh, flax that's gone through the scutcher and the hackler. So it's nice and shiny and beautiful. And these are the machines that we produce. The, the ones here are the uh, prototypes, prototype machines. These ones here um, are the ones we have set up in France. And this is what we, um, this is how it looks when um, when, it, when it's the final product versus the prototype. <laughs> wow. Uh, I love the yeah. colors. Yeah, yeah, oh, they are. They were. Yeah, I I chose the colors. I chose the color the colors, and I think it was it was a funny moment actually between me and um uh, and the engineer team at the time because I said that's the colors that I wanted, and color was sort of the last thing on their minds. But for me, color actually came like before the machine was finished. <laughs> Uh, so this is just to show you a little bit of what's happening in our spinning mill, and this is where we've been really working hard at trying to get um, our yarn production happening. Um, and so you'll see there's all the plastic around. One of the things we're trying to figure out is um, in an old building that we have available to us, how can we figure out maintaining the right humidity without investing thousands of dollars in humidity controls in an old building? So I decided plastic and duct tape was one way that I could do that. Um, so I've really been trying to figure out how to solve the problems with as little cost as possible. Developing machinery is a big investment. And so trying to get from the machines to the final, to the next steps um, is, uh, I, need to be, I need to be very frugal. Uh, so here's a photograph, two photographs of some of the people that are working with us um, to help realize our goal. So uh, Marilyn is in the pink shirt and she's beside me with a, a blue hat and blue socks. So she's a knitter and she has been experimenting knitting and dyeing with um, our yarns that she has been creating. She also made the sweater I'm wearing. And Marilyn is one of the people who's been involved in the project right from the beginning. And so that's there's actually little square patches of the nettle fiber testing that we did that she hand spun, of the linen wool blends that we've made, of all kinds of like pieces. The arms are all linen wool blends. And so the sweater is very meaningful because she's basically just put, put into a sweater the history of this story. Um, of going from seed to shirt and from where it started. And then the next photograph is Apia and Abby. Abby is a young designer who joined us to help us make clothes in 2018. And Pia is the, the weaver. And she lives one street over and she hand weaves, has hand woven all of our fabric. Here again um, is Abby uh, doing the design work for our community shared linen that we launched in 2018. And we were able to secure Abby working with us for about seven months, eight months through the community shared linen initiative where people paid in advance to get a share, an allocation of clothing that Abby made. Uh, designed and made um, in partnership with all of the other people who influenced how to actually make the fabric because I kind of overlooked like fabric design. I just thought you did clothing design, but then one day I was like, oh, right, there's designers for the fabric too, huh? <laughs> so many steps. Um, and so 
part of what's important about thinking about fiber and how it can be used in our communities is also, um, and how you can use the byproducts of it is, um, um, well, I don't know what I was going to say, except this is a paper making workshop. This is where we were making paper. And I want to be able to show examples of how we can use all parts of the plants and have zero waste and also share that there are other ways people can partner. So we can grow the flax, but then someone could start a paper company and then they have access to the fibers they need to make paper. So um, Mary Hark, who's um, the instructor here, came um, up from Madison and she taught us how to make paper. Uh, here I am on a bit of an adventure um, overseas, over um, to France and Belgium and the Netherlands. And I'm standing in a room full of people who have formed a cooperative in the south of France. And the, the purpose of this cooperative is to um, build up the skills and the knowledge of growing flax again in their region and then supplying all kinds of different entrepreneurs who are members of the cooperative with the flax so that they can make the products that they make. And it's an economic activity um, that um, this group of people are working hard at. And that is a surfboard made from <laughs> flax. Whoa. Um, yeah, it's really exciting. And those surfboards are being sold all around the world. And so they're trying to figure out, okay, well, I, I don't think they're trying to figure it out. They are doing it. They're now growing flax and they're making all kinds of flax products within their region um, and partnering and they're having great success. So um, I met with them. And um, then in the next picture over, um, this is a, a man in the northern part of um, the Netherlands who has a fairly large um, business growing hemp. And he has designed and created uh, hemp houses. So basically, um, he, he builds, he builds um, a, hemp, a house out of hemp. So those are the walls right there um, for this house. So it'll be like small, like small homes that are made from hemp. Wow. Um, and it's amazing and beautiful. He also has a CBD and does other, um, has other initiatives with hemp. And then down below, this is a woman who um, runs, where it runs with other people in her family, uh, their family business of growing flax. So the benefits to the regional economy, um, for me really, were, uh, really it's that we can create an opportunity. Uh, there is actually, my husband's just come back from traveling um, to learn more about seed to shirt and flax production. And there really is a demand in the world for flax fiber, high quality flax fiber. So if we're able in our regions to grow it, we do have an opportunity to, um, to sell it beyond our local um, capacity, but then also just to be able to build up um, the economy, the local economy around using this product could become um, a new cash crop for farmers. So you don't have to do everything like I'm trying to do all of these things um, going right from seed to shirt. But certainly you can imagine that people could come together in partnerships where somebody grows it and somebody processes it and somebody does something with the with, you know, makes paper. Someone um, sends fiber off for, you know, bicycles. They're making bicycles with, with, with flax fiber. Wow. Yeah. So we want to create employment. We want to, um, 
We want to be able to be a source for high-quality linen yarn. We want people around the world to know that Nova Scotia can be a place where you can get high-quality linen yarn. And we want to be able to, um, through the, the creation of our machines, we want to be able to support other local businesses in our community that manufacture. Um, and so this kind of just, the whole initiative really comes from the same place of really loving this place, really loving this soil, um, really wanting to celebrate um, and add to the diversity of what this place can offer. And so this is a bit of the initiative around local food. And so I want to be able to add on to this. Not, not only are we growing local food um, or, you know, or fishing local um, fish, and, but we're, we're making wine and beer or cheese, but we're also um, making fiber. And these to me are, you know, these children right here are who I, you know, who I feel like most of the time I do this for because they are, they're the ones that are, you know, th these children now are going to have like an opportunity to do something that no one here has had a chance to do for hundreds of years, which is to actually be aware that the flax plant, you know, is, can make a shirt or a dishcloth and that they can go out and harvest that and they can turn that into something that's beautiful and special. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's what it's all about for me. So that's what we're doing here in Nova Scotia. <laughs> I am Thanks, so, Matt. You are, you are so amazing. Thank you. This is a gift to the world. I mean, most people have no idea that their clothes are toxic. Most people have no idea that the pesticides used on the plants that go in to make your clothing have it imbued in continuously mm. release it mm -hmm. but most people don't understand that the dyes and things as they fade over time they're moving they're mobile and so if it's not a healthy dye mm -hmm. you have real issues and especially if you're sensitive and so and increasingly our, our children are so and then there's the whole toxic side of it where where it's the microfibers mm -hmm. where it's not biodegrading and and this this addresses all those things in a way that doesn't even bring those up in a, in a story that almost doesn't <laughs> even need to reference those because it's yeah. so uplifting oh thank you thank you thank you what a blessing <laughs> world so uh, you're welcome <laughs> So how, how would we start kids? Like, so let, let's, let's come up with like a quick kids project. So let's say I want to get my eight year old and my 12 year old seeing what's possible, seeing, you know, sparking that kind of thing in their lives. How big of a patch of flax would we grow to make something that would be a project that they'd be like, holy cow, we can do this. Oh, one square foot. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. Like, because you you can do, I mean, you don't have to sort of knit something. Like, just the one square foot, you'll get a nice big handful of flax that you can make things with, make bracelets or, um, you know, or make designs with or just weave with the actual fiber just right there out of, you know, out of the garden patch. Yep. I think the bracelet idea is so powerful because they can then wear it and then walk yeah. around that memory of empowerment. 
Mm-hmm. Where it's like nature is is partnering with nature is empowerment. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Like I'm if they just do one square, you know, it doesn't have to be very much. And so what I encourage people to do is not to feel like, oh, I have to be able to like make my clothes now. But why don't you just start with saying this little section of the garden, like outside my outside of my door or the walkway that I walk up every day, like I'm just going to sprinkle a handful of flax seeds there this year and see what happens and just let it grow and see how it feels. And um, and then and then maybe grow a little bit more the next year and just take it one step at a time. So we don't have to sort of like, you know, do the shirt this year, but we could maybe collect some seeds yeah. and then have, have a few more seeds for next year and uh, maybe learn how to ret, you know, just your little handful of flax and how to play around with that and go from there. <laughs>